My guest on the show this week has been a central pivot point of the Australian impact investment scene for more than a decade, and someone who I've wanted to sit down with for a chat for a long time. Of course, I'm talking about Danny Almagor. He's the founder of Small Giants and Impact Investment Group. He's the husband of Barry Lieberman, and he's just an all-round top bloke. Danny is an engineer by trade, but he's a spiritual explorer in practice. He's on a journey that I'm sure resonates with many of my listeners, and that's a quest to make the world of business be more human. To share a line from a previous guest, it's about recognising we live in an ecology rather than an economy. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big question about the business of sustainability, the new economy, and how your spending and investment decisions can have an impact. We covered a lot in this wide-ranging conversation, but most exciting was the news that Danny dropped on us, a rather huge update that is launching a new impact investment firm. It's called Sentient. It will sit alongside IIG, but it will be a very different beast entirely. It's an exciting new concept and it follows on from the tough year that Danny had in 2020, both personally and professionally. But he tells the story much better than me. So let's dive in. You can find all the show notes on my website at johntreadgold.com. And also please do leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen, because it helps push us up the rankings. All right, here it is, my conversation with Danny Almagor. Here we go. Danny, great to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming. My interview with your wife, Barry Lieberman, was a favourite with my audience, so it's great to finally have you here. It's good because she's my favourite too. (laughs) Good to be here, John. Oh, there we go. Correct answer. Great. Well, look, people will know you from, you know, the companies you founded, IIG, Impact Investment Group and Small Giants. And of course, you gave me a teaser before this call about about some major changes going over there, an evolution of your approach, which which I dare say will will turn out to be a key milestone. But before we get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about the journey that got you here. You didn't start out as an investor. You were, in fact, an engineer. And eventually the journey led you to doing pioneering work in in the field of impact investing. So I'm sure people know a little bit about your background, but I'd love to dig into it. You know, winding back to fresh-faced Danny Almagor studying engineering. Can you remember what aspirations you had back then? I wanted to be an astronaut, actually. I loved Star Trek. I loved Beyond 2000, for those old enough to remember that show. And I used to talk about, you know, all these exciting technologies and exciting innovations that will be with us beyond the year 2000. (laughs) Some of them have come true. Many of them haven't. We've been waiting for the flying cars. But yeah, I wanted to be an astronaut. I love technology. I love maths. I love science. And yeah, coming out of university, I enrolled into aerospace engineering. I thought that was a pathway to be Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the next Starship Enterprise and also did a business degree. And in fact, I really loved the business side, I have to say. it was I felt business was about human behaviour, psychology, you know, whether it's marketing or management, you know, managing people, looking at product, trying to understand markets. It's such a beautiful, complex game of trying to understand people at the end of the day. You know, markets are a congregation of individuals. So I love the business side, but I was inspired during, while I was studying, to come up with the idea of engineers at borders and 
And once I finished, I, I did end up deciding to focus my energy on that. So I spent nearly 10 years in the nonprofit space, Engineers Without Borders, and loved every second of it. Yeah, look, Engineers Without Borders, that's quite a leap from your studies. And, and I think you know, many of us can relate to that feeling of wanting to do something more tangible and, and be really hands-on. Is there anything that you feel brought you to that position that gave you that energy to, I guess, be a leader, you know, manage other people and have the conviction to launch a project? There were a few. I remember during university, I was traveling in India and I was there during an earthquake, you know, still had the mindset of, of maybe being an astronaut, but, but I was there through an earthquake and and it was quite profound. And I remember up on the other side of it, it was a terrible one. And I was sort of there thinking, how can I help? And I remember that feeling of just wanting to, to be of service, wanting to live a life of service. That was probably where the idea of Engineers Up Waters was sparked. You know, that, that experience was quite profound. But even before that, I mean, I grew up in a, in a Jewish home. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors on one side and on my father's side from Israel. And so that had a huge influence in me, my Jewish heritage and, and upbringing, you know, understanding concepts of racism and disadvantage, of course, of the Holocaust, of genocide, and even with Israel, of both being oppressed and to some extent oppressor side in the circumstances. I saw parts of the world that, that made me feel like there was work to be done and I had a role in that. I think also I went to a, a youth movement that was very, very involved in social justice, you know, systems, looking at looking at the system that we that we live in and asking questions about whether we can make it better. So those philosophical conversations around the good society, the good life, you know, have always been part of my conversation and, and maybe there was a moment I, I recall actually maybe I was 14 or 15 where I was just sitting in contemplation and I came to this epiphany which I don't think is quite a surprise of my own agency of the fact that you know the world will be made by the decisions of each of us in that world and sort of realizing that I was like well I've got to step up I've got to make some decisions and I kind of feel like I've lived my life like that ever since. If I see something that needs to be done, you know, I'll try and step in and do it if I can. Yeah, that sort of led me to creating, you know, Engineers Up Borders. I started another company after university with, with a friend called Medivax and, and just felt like it was, it was all about action. You see something and, and you see what you can do to make a difference on it. So I don't know, there's no magic in it. I never thought of that as unique until sort of, you know, years and years later where people say, you know, what made you start that? You know, sort of more than anything, looked around and saying, why didn't everyone else do that? Somebody falls over on the street, you run over to help them up, or if light bulb bursts, you, you get a ladder and jump up and change it. Like for me, that seems obvious. So the question is hard for me sometimes to comprehend because, you know, it's more a frustration of, of how do others walk through the world without realising that they have agency and they can make a difference. And so from engineering to investing, both tools to have impact. But what did that early stage of, of small giants look like and, and how did IIG develop? In the Engineers Up Borders days, I remember that was clearly a non-profit. We were taking donations from the big companies. And I remember thinking even then, like, this is great. Some of these big engineering firms are giving us money to do some good. But the firms themselves were working on things that weren't always so good coal-fired power stations or fossil fuel projects or things like Adani. And so for me, I knew that, you know, the philanthropic end, getting a little bit of the charity at the other side was only ever going to be so good. You know, the ultimate shift is to actually change the way the economy works, the way businesses 
do their business. So that was clear. The other part of it, obviously, was related to Barry, who you've interviewed before, so people can listen to her story there. It's an extraordinary story and a story of coming from wealth. In the process of Engineers Up Borders, you know, we got together, got married, and we had this wealth that we had to deal with. So both the idea that it's got to extend beyond philanthropy, if you want to create a different system in a different world, it can't just be our philanthropy that makes that change. It's got to be our investments in our business. With Barry, we had the opportunity to actually have capital to invest, so to literally influence where businesses would go. And that's how Small Giants started. It's sort of the, the coming together of my entrepreneurial spirit and the nonprofit spirit and for Barry, a deep culture and, and experience in investing and in the arts, in, in storytelling, because that was Barry's background. So Small Giants, imagine it, you know, entrepreneurial, business, nonprofit agenda, investment, strength, and a profound connection to the idea of storytelling and narrative. And that was it. So the early days, we kind of looked at it and said, well, what, what do we want to change? One of our early investments was Dumbo Feather magazine, which was great because as we were talking about what would we invest in, what type of businesses would we support, we often said they're the kind of businesses that would be profiled in Dumbo Feather or the people, at least behind those businesses. And then we got a chance to, to work with the founder of Dumbo Feather, which was an incredible experience to take over Dumbo and grow it to where it is today. So that's kind of how it started. And as we went along and we started investing our portfolio, we committed to moving 100% of our wealth to impact. And as we went along, it was just really hard to find other people doing this because there wasn't a term impact investing sort of hadn't really been coined until after we started, as well as it was hard to find products. We went to meet with people like, you know, J.B. Weir and, and Goldman's and Macquarie's and all the advisors and bankers and people in that wealth world and said, this is what we want to do. We want to use our money to invest in businesses that are changing the world. And they all said, that's called philanthropy. You know, use the dividends from your investments to give to nonprofits to change the world. And we said, no, 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 no. We do that already. We get it. How do we use our money, our investment to invest in those businesses changing the world, they will give us dividends and we'll give the profits or the dividends of that to charity. And it just didn't make sense, right? It didn't make sense to people. And so we created Small Giants to resolve that problem for ourselves. And for about four odd years, we started having a lot of other people asking us that same question, like, where do you find deals and how do you do this and who can help us? And that was the point that we realised that we needed to start building the ecosystem beyond just ourselves. We were always supporting others doing work, but the idea of a place that would create opportunities for investment. And that's how IIG started. It was basically the idea of a shop that people can come and find impact investments. You know, so much has gone on in that, that decade plus, right? And early days when the term wasn't there, and, and we've now seen this dramatic rise of this concept. And I think 2020 is an interesting year because in some ways it was a milestone for sustainable investment broadly, but at the same time, you know, such a sort of devastating impact on, on the economy and on so many people's livelihoods. Impact investment has sort of matured lots of, you know, mainstream players coming in. So if we fast forward to 2020, you know, you guys had a tough year, an office development stalled. Can you tell us about what went on last year and, and how you felt that where that evolution has, has got to? If I can jump back a little bit, you jumped over nearly a decade pretty fast there. When Small Giants started, it was really like, what is this? Like no one even understood it. The idea of investing aligned with your values 
and investing in businesses that are there to make a difference in the world, to solve problems. That idea wasn't even understood. Right? So that was small giants was just trying to understand what that idea meant. By the time we started IIG in around 2012, 2013, the term was there, people started understanding the idea. So if the essence of that next part of the journey was really, can it work? Can you invest aligned with your values and make a return? And IIG, that decade almost, you know, sort of 2013 to 2020, was really about proving that it can work. We had an amazing, amazing experience over that time. Every investment that we did, we outperformed our expectations on that. We started a venture fund called Giant Leap, and it was in the top quartile of all venture funds, you know, not impact included. So we were the only impact venture fund. We're competing with non-impact. We were still in the top quartile. We really spent that seven years. It wasn't just us, of course. Others were doing this as well. And they were amazing. Some that didn't call themselves impact investors, but were, and others that very much were talking about being impact investors. But I think over that period, people started seeing, not only do I understand what you're talking about, but I can see that it works. I can see that I can move money into cause-based investing or values-based investing and make a good return, even sometimes outperform the market in my returns. So that was that decade. And it got to us to 2020. And then you ask what happened in 2020. And I think that's an interesting point because the world kind of fell apart. Fell apart for many people. Of course, if you were in hospitality or travel, that was the, the, the most devastating. But particularly in the property market, you know, I remember early 2020 and you just saw the property market really uncertain about what the future was. You look at even, even the big guys and the Mervacs and, and the Dexas's and big, big property players all saw their share prices get cut down by 20, 30, some even 40%. There was huge uncertainty in that space. And, and we, we had a large exposure to property. And it makes sense. I mean, we went into lockdown, people stopped going to the office, everyone was worried what would happen to property going forwards. And I think it did a few things, and I think it's still going at the moment. I mean, COVID, we're in the middle of it, and a whole lot of people are asking, what am I and what do I want out of my life? And is this the job I want? Is this the work I want to do? So there's, there's a macro environment, you know, macro context that's happening as we speak, and it's been happening over the last year and a half. You know, we were unfortunately in the midst of something that was happening. We had a, a project with the builder that essentially went bankrupt throughout the pandemic. You know, we didn't expect that. And then we just had to work through that with that builder and, and ultimately had to replace the builder on the building. So just tough stuff, you know, and I think a lot of so many businesses had a hard time through that. But I think, again, I look at it in the context of what was happening to the world and to so many other businesses, which is massive uncertainty and an a opportunity to really ask who are we and what we want to be. And hopefully a lot of people who are listening to this are asking that on a personal level, but those who run businesses should be asking it on their business level. Like, did the world change in 2020? And I think it wasn't just the pandemic. For Australia, we had the fires of 2019, 2020, the worst fires in our known history. So we had a profound, profound experience in this early 2020 that kind of changed the world, not to mention, of course, we had the US elections that came through that year climate change, you know, more recently with the IPCC report on code red for humanity. And in that time, we started asking the question, what is the essence? What is the question for now going forwards? And I think from impact investing's perspective, if the first one was what is impact investing? The second one was, is it real? Can it work? Can it deliver what it's promising? I think the answer to that is yes. 
uh, whether it's IG as an example, small giants or Kilter or, or Tiverton or Good Start, all these so many beautiful examples of impact investments in various forms that have just proven that this stuff works. Now the essential question is how do we take it into the mainstream? And you mentioned it in your question, it has become somewhat mainstream. Everyone's talking about impact. The question is how do we bring it now, accelerate that to the mainstream? And that's really, I think, the question that we've been asking over the last year through these difficult times, rather than sort of saying, okay, they're difficult, what do we do? Maybe this is an opportunity to reframe what we're trying to do here. And the reframe on the other side of this pivot of this pandemic, I think, is the world is ready for this to be the way we invest. So our answer was a new organisation we're creating is sort of a a love child of, of small giants and IIG called Sentient. And Sentient is really about mainstreaming this idea of harnessing capital for the living world. Wow, there's a huge amount to deal with there, covering the last decade, bringing us up to today and talking a little bit about the future, which is really exciting to hear about that. And as you said, you get to 2020 and you wonder if it's just your own personal journey or is it, you know, is it something broad or is there something happening in the cosmos that we're all kind of vibrating on a different frequency and, and you know, speaking to people like you and all, you know, I have the, the luxury of talking to lots of really interesting people and, and that really certainly has come through. You know, there's lots of change. People have had downtime. Some people have had more stressed than ever and they're finished with it and they want to change. So yeah, it's exciting to hear that, you know, you're at this new stage of your evolution and the name is sentient. So tell us a little bit more, maybe start with that word. What does sentient mean to you? Oh, it's such a beautiful word. Most people probably heard it before, but it doesn't seem to be used all that much in our lexicon. It means literally to feel or to perceive. And it's quite an ancient word, you know, 1600s is, is when, when we can identify it started being used. So it's got this beautiful ancient sense, but it also, like I was talking about being an astronaut, it sounds cool because you could also have the starship sentient and the starship sentient travelling around the galaxy to find new life and new civilization. So there's definitely a cool element of past and future with the word itself. It sounds cool. But the meaning is beautiful. It's just talking about life. Sentient beings are those beings that can feel that can experience from trees to the animals to us humans. And I think that's what this is about. You know, we have to create an economy. We have to create a society that respects and values life. And when you look at a lot of impact investing, I think at the essence, we can talk about measurement, we can talk about all the technicalities relating to impact, but really we just want to support life. We want to support, you know, abundance of flora and fauna and people and animals on there. And so that's where it comes from. Like, can we create an economy in service to life? Then we go to the next level, of course, and, and, and start asking questions around what does that mean and what does that look like? And what are the compromises that we always need to make when we do do investments and do create businesses? But at the core, it's got this beautiful meaning. And I had a, a difficult year last year, particularly my father passed away in the middle of the second big lockdown in Melbourne. He had cancer. So not COVID related, but COVID made it an incredibly difficult experience because, you know, you couldn't spend too much time together. Grieving is very hard when you can't meet with others. But the word sentient came, we were working with a friend and he also lost his father recently. And he was writing the eulogy, talking about life. Sentient came to his mind. And that's how we fell on the word. 
and do that business. So it's way beyond just a business. I think it, it really is a philosophy on how to approach life. Yeah, look, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know about your father, so sorry for hearing that. But thank you for sharing the story. And I think that's right. I think that word, it floats there. Even if you don't know a definitive meaning, it certainly gives you a feeling. If I can quote from the, the very famous Optimus Prime, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. And if Optimus Prime thinks that, then uh, we have to take that pretty seriously. <laughs> That's right. He's a wise, wise robot. <laughs> <laughs> and getting into the detail, this new organisation, Sentient, where does it fit in the family? Does it replace IIG? Um, is Small Giant still the parent? How does that, how's that going to function? I mean, no, IIG still exists. IIG really is focusing on the property side of, of impact, which is great. That's where it started and that's where it's got it deep expertise. And Sentient is really allowing us in this new structure to expand way beyond. If, if I asked about that essence, that third essence, how do we mainstream this? How do we take this to the world? Sentient really has been set up from the outset to try and provide the platform or the opportunity to reach further than we've ever been able to reach before. That is to go to the institutional market, to go to the advisory market, to really move capital so IIG, I think, set the stage for Sentient to be able to really go out there and play a broader role. In that, of course, is a diversified ownership. So, you know, the, the, we're excited to have others join us on the journey and there'll be, there'll be diversified ownership, including the staff, and also looking beyond Australia. So, again, Sentient sees its opportunity to do this on a global scale. I think, you know, this is not a game that can be played just in our little part of the, the world. We need to move capital all over the world to try and activate some of these solutions. What's the asset focus and, and what are some of the, the impact outcomes you're driving towards? So there'll be a strong focus on renewable energy and clean energy. We're excited to announce that uh, Oliver Yates, former CEO of the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, will be the captain of the team leading us as CEO. And so clearly has a, a profoundly deep energy background there. So that's one area. We're also talking about efficiency, which would include areas of energy efficiency and waste and other things. We look also at the social impact side of things, whether it's through place-based investing or other social outcomes, you know, whether it's Indigenous or social justice or gender, and then in regenerative ag, so agriculture and food production and carbon sequestration through land and soil and seaweeds and stuff like that. So, so it's very broad in that sense, but it's really been defined to look for solutions in these areas. Again, the mindset is not asset classes, but solutions to problems. And in designing a solution to the problem, we'll do that using traditional finance methods, whether it's debt or equity, different asset classes or other structures of funds and other things. Okay. And so then will it be, you know, a number of funds with those different asset classes or will it be, you know, the impact outcomes will, will define the funds? How, how will that structure work? It'll be almost like a house of funds. So almost think of it as a farmer's market, where you want to find opportunities to invest in impact. You've understood the term, you believe in it, 
And you want to go out there and find opportunities to put your money where your mouth is and align it with your values. So at the moment, you know, you're going to go around the place and you really have to search for opportunities. But ultimately, if we bring it back to that marketplace, you're going to drive around to the different shops and the specialty shop that sells tomatoes and the specialty shop that sells mushrooms and all this stuff and you buy your things. But then someone comes along and sets up a farmer's market and says, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to bring together, we're going to curate a whole lot of different things. So you can come to this one place, you know, and walk around and see all these different opportunities and choose the ones that you love. And it's just a joy. I like to think that could sentient act as that in the impact ecosystem. Multi-asset fund manager holds a number of different opportunities to invest in impact across different sectors, solving different problems across different asset classes, and really in partnership with a whole lot of other funds. So this is not about us controlling everything, but rather giving the opportunity for people to express what they're doing using Sentient as some form of platform as well. And so the beauty of a, of a farmer's market is that all those different farmers are specialists, right? And they've perfected that guy's the pumpkin guy and, and he's the uh, organic beef guy. Are you going to have that specialization in-house with the different sectors and, and, and building the team in that way? You're getting into that analogy beautifully. And it is, it is the fact that sometimes you might need that, that expertise in-house, but lots of opportunities for partnerships and, and for people, you know, with expertise in other areas to come together and, and do stuff. So like you said, you might find someone who's got an exceptional expertise in carbon drawdown or in, in regenerative agriculture or in private equity or investing in, in early stage and bringing them into that conversation as a partner in sentient as well. You know, Giant Leap was such a great, a great organisation, but then you also had your larger infrastructure assets in terms of something like clean energy. Will it again be that broad approach, you know, big infrastructure assets as well as maybe, you know, early stage clean tech sort of startups? Will you have that breadth? <laughs> well, it's still early days, so I don't want to predict too much of the future, but I, I think a systems approach to solutions is definitely in our DNA. So we're always looking for the opportunity to, to use a number of different tools to achieve the outcome. So again, trying to really reach out. You talk about being broad, broad both for the way we perceive the work that we do, but also in terms of our reach, trying to mainstream the ideas that we've been talking about in impact investing. Okay. And what comes first? Where are you at? Any assets in mind? Yeah, again, again, it's hard to talk about when you're in the middle of stuff, right? But it's very exciting. We've got a really exciting pipeline of things both in the region ag space, in the energy space, both in debt and in equity, even looking at things in what is the future of energy, things like hydrogen, uh, which is really exciting. So we also have place-based investing, which I think is a really important part of impact that we're going to see more of, particularly on the back of COVID where people are starting to see the, the relationship that their investment has to the place that they're in. And again, lockdown is an obvious example of that. So those are the areas that we're exploring at the moment with a lot of things that, that I'm excited to share with you as we go. Great. More to come on that, I'm sure. And, you know, we did talk in the first sort of section of this conversation all about this evolution. You've taken that time, brand new organisation, a whole new team. Are there any elements of this, this, you know, amorphous term impact investment that you want to apply this sort of next era, perhaps, of impact investing, you know, maybe 2.0 or 3.0, I don't know where we're up to. Any key learnings? I think really it's trying to understand where the world is. Like how do we respond to, to the, the moment 
in history that we are more than any. I mean, the learnings, you know, learn about investing and how to integrate impact into investing, how to think of risk in a broader lens than just the risk of losing your capital. There is risk attached to not acting on things like climate change. Look at AGL as an example. They didn't take the climate risk seriously and now they're really suffering reputationally and also now commercially with their share price collapsing on the back of being somewhat of a dinosaur in the fossil fuel space. So, you know, lots of lessons around that, the practical stuff. How do we measure impact? You know, we're getting better at that type of stuff. So all of that gets integrated in. But I think the bigger one is trying to understand the response to this moment. Day one of Sentient was on the day that the IPCC report was released, code red for humanity. And it was like this profound moment where we were were sitting together in a Zoom room. Of course, we couldn't meet in person, which is unbelievable. As a business, we've never met as a group in person. But we sat there and here we are. We were asked at the extreme, what are we going to do about this? We've just gone into an absolute emergency period with climate change. And on that day, we launched this new concept. And I feel both really proud of that, but also that you asked what are the lessons we learn, that's all we've got to do. Like we've got a short period of time now to turn this ship around. And, and I want to focus on this new enterprise because the team at IIG are doing extraordinary things and continue to do extraordinary things. And the moment in time is really calling for us to step forward and act. And so all of those things that we're engaged in have felt like they've had to elevate. They've felt like they've had to say, hey, you know, what is the next 2.0 or 3.0, whatever, whatever number we're on. And I think that's, that's all of us to ask, what does that mean for our business? You know, who are we partnering with? Who are we working with to try and solve these problems? That's what I'm excited by. You know, I think that's interesting what you say about the IPCC report and the impact it had. I've been grappling with that and the reactions that different groups have had. You're obviously very well aware of the issues of climate change and and deep into the science. So I would assume that you would have followed this for a long time. You know, the report comes out, you're like, oh, wow, you know, more proof, right? But probably not shocking, right? So I wonder what's happening right now. Is it, you know, it's not as if it was a, a scandalous revelation, right? That it was this one thing that's happening and suddenly, you know, something that we didn't know about, but more and more people are, now on board. Do you see it as a critical mass sort of thing where we're going to get to a certain point and then it's going to be more weight on one side of the scale and and it'll suddenly tip down, right? And that'll be the breakthrough moment. How do you see that? Yeah, I think we're already there. I was chatting to another friend, Luke Sayers, who's now getting a lot of attention in the football world as president of Carlton. And he's been an incredible support through this. His company has been an advisor to us over this period. and, And now Luke has has also joined the board of Sentient. He was just describing it and he just said, like, you know, there's no question, you want to kick with the wind. 50-metre goal is easy when the wind is blowing from behind and bloody hard when you're trying to kick against it. You know, referring to what you're saying, which is have we reached a tipping point? Have we, have we reached this time? And, and I think we have. It's still early days. You know, there's a long way to go. But even looking at the, the global response to climate now, our own government, you know, talking about it like it's obvious, you know, like we get, we've got to have targets and we've got to set it. Maybe not enough. That's a conversation for a different podcast. But the fact that everybody's talking about it, it's, it's no longer a maybe. It's a we must. So this is the direction that the wind is blowing. It's just a question of, you know, how fast we can move, not whether it's going to happen. 
So for me, that's a really positive thing. We just now, we've got the urgency, and if you come back to the IPCC report, it wasn't news. It wasn't something we didn't know before, but it's a little bit like being unhealthy. You don't not realise you're unhealthy. And then you have the scare, you know, the heart attack or the, the, the mini heart attack, and then you're like, whoa, I knew that I wasn't healthy, but that was the slap in the face I needed to take action. And so for me, I'm hoping that, that these are wake-up calls, you know, riots and stock market crashes and pandemics and fires. These are all those mini heart attacks to sort of say, change, you know, you know that things weren't right, but here we're going to put it right in front of you. You need to make a decision. And I think for me, that's what the IPCC report was just another example of that if the bushfires weren't enough from last year. So I think the tailwinds are there. I think the, the, the universe or the planet Earth or even the masses are reminding us all the time that we need to change and we have no choice other than to change. So, so I feel like we're on the right side of, of history now. Uh, it's just getting to it. Oh, look, you're very optimistic. I do like that. We need that positivity to go forward. And I think that comes through in the community, right, that you build around your ideas. You really bring people along with you. I think communications is vital. That's sort of, you know, the way I see my role in all of this to try and tell these stories. Um, you know, and creating that story, it's difficult, right? But you're able to raise people, sort of I don't know, inspire people right? and to take action as well, which is where we started. But of course, you're building community through empathy. And I think that you know, that's always been um, the two sides that you're bringing together. Where are you at in that journey? I mean, that's where my passion is. The investing was incidental. It was an accident that we sort of got into it. We had money. We needed to, you know, we made a commitment to move that money and then ultimately found ourselves, you know, managing our own money and before long managing other people's money and, and really driving the investment ecosystem with regards to impact investing. But my passion is more like what you're doing, which is, you know, how do we change the narrative? How do we look at the system and come up with, a, with an alternative, an alternative story about how humanity can be in the world? And that is through storytelling, you know, whether it's podcasts like this or opportunities like we have in Small Giants, the two arms. One arm is Small Giants Capital, where we look at moving, moving money, moving capital. And the other side is Small Giants Academy, which we've set up as a non-profit. So it sort of sits a little bit outside of the capital conversation. But its role is to move hearts and minds and to ask the question, how do we, how do we address the bigger philosophical level the challenges we have, and then on the practical level. So we run workshops and conversations and, and stories and make films and, and, you know, I take people on trips. But probably my favourite thing to do is, is I take a group to Bhutan and we talk about gross national happiness, an alternative system for governance and decision-making around, uh, you know, around a country. And it's just beautiful to be able to explore these things. And then you go to the very practical. So we run a six-week course on how to become an impact investor or a three-hour workshop on how to deal with your money issues. So, you know, that side of it is as important. Like we can't move capital if our mindsets aren't shifting alongside it because, you know, we'll only just, just recreate the problems again just with a different thing. Instead of having oil barons, we'll just have solar power barons. And they will still ultimately look for opportunities to extract and to externalise and to do that. And they'll just do it through solar panels as opposed to other things. If we change our mindset, see things differently, then we can say, yes, we will change our energy generation, but we'll also change the way we think about energy, the way we think about employing people, the way we think about trade, the way we think about the flow of capital. 
the way we think about the role of, of gender and diversity, the way we think about sentient beings outside of the humans, how we protect our environment, not just as a consequence of our investing, but as a consequence of a, a change in the way we perceive the world, the way we relate to the world. So for me, that's the most beautiful part of this journey. I'd say impact investing is not an investment strategy. It's a philosophy. And so, yeah, when you say I'm an investor, it reduces me to the smallest version of myself. I think investor is my expression of the largest part of myself. And just to follow on from that, I always have this question in the back of my mind. You know, you've built businesses, you've been successful, you've become wealthy, but can money buy happiness? Money is not what buys happiness. Like, of course, having money is wonderful and it helps. You know, it helps us find freedom from so many things. You know, I mean, again, I go back to ancient New South Borders days. There was no correlation between happiness and wealth. It's about the relationships you have, the relationship with yourself, the relationship with your friends, you know, your community, and the relationship you have to, to the planet, to the environment. And if you work on those relationships, what is a side note? To that wealth allows you the opportunity to do certain things, but it's not valuable in and of itself. It's valuable for what it allows you to do. So happiness is not a result of wealth. It's a result of what you choose to do. Yeah, thank you for that. No, it was just, you know, one of those sort of glib things that people get thrown around, but I think it is good to, to actually try and yeah, engage with it as a concept. So thanks for that. And we don't just to say the obvious. You know, we're not dismissing the fact that when you're living in abject poverty, that's a different conversation. I don't think that was, that was where you were going when you're talking about wealth and happiness. You know, we're talking about the vast majority of people listening to this podcast where it's like, if only I had an extra $10,000, I'd be happier. The truth is that's unlikely to be the case. It might make life easier, but, you know, whenever you talk about purpose, I think, you know, making more money is not at the core of that. Maybe that's part of the 2020 zeitgeist. Maybe that's part of the pivot, you know, that people are starting to realise that. But look, we've been going for more than an hour now, which means it's been good fun and, and the conversation's been flowing. So thank you. We've covered a lot. But just before I let you go, can you give us a book recommendation? Oh, my God, so many good books. The Good Ancestor is a book by a guy named Roman Kuznarik. And it's a beautiful book about our role in, in the world and in the universe and intergenerationally as well. And I, I think in these times, the conversation we've had leads me to how do we be good ancestors? Yeah, what a concept. Super interesting. Thank you. And thank you for all the insights today. We've covered a lot of ground and great to hear about Sentient. I think that's really exciting. There's obviously far more news to come there. You know, I hope people should stay tuned and we can hopefully speak to some of the new members of your team about about all the bits and pieces and deals and the funds and all that sort of good stuff so keep it up and thank you it's a team effort i mean there are so many names that are connected to that uh, both from the past and the present just so many people have been have been part of it good stuff love it danny thank you so much take care john